0: perfect song for what we're going to be looking at this morning. uh, Our focus this morning is the Father over our fears, and so that just is a perfect lead way into what we're going to be looking at in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 10. If you want to make your way there, we'll begin in verse 26. Un momento. Um, So uh, it's been, it's July. (laughs) That's crazy. Uh, if you're a teacher or you work with schools, you know that that's not something you want to hear yet. Uh, but it is July. Uh, I believe when my wife saw it was July 1st, she went into immediate depression as she began thinking that we're only a few weeks away till uh, we head back and do all that wonderful stuff again. But. Um, it's been a good June, you know, we've gotten to see family and friends and things like that. Uh, our students went to camp, and, and uh, Abby had daddy-daughter camp with me, and she said the camp pastor was awesome, so I appreciate her uh, response about that. And uh, we had a lot of fun that week, but our kids, uh, Ethan got back from student camp, and we decided, uh, we had looked at our calendar, and we decided we were going to have a week where we're going to ship them off to Nana and Papa camp which is the name of uh, Jamie's folks and what we call them is Nana and Papa. And so Ethan went for a couple days. Abby went for a full week. And, you know, we will, if you have kids, we all love our children deeply and we love what they do in our life. But it's also nice when God gives that little breather, right? I mean, you know, when you get older... Um, You go on vacation, you don't do vacation from your kids because you take your kids with you, but when Nana and Papa offer to take the kids for a week, you say, just name the week, right? Um, So they went there, and uh, as they were there, that meant Jamie and I had a week where it was just going to be us, and we were pretty excited about that, so we were looking at the week, and and I had to do some stuff for church, but uh, we, we looked at Tuesday because uh, we looked at the weather. Um, Jamie says I'm becoming an old person because she'll ask me what I'm looking at, and I'm looking at the weather a lot. Um, I don't know why. I just, I'm just i fascinated by the weather, I guess. But um, Tuesday was going to be a perfect day in the week they were gone for us to go do something outside, and there was this trail we really wanted to do down in Arkansas, that uh, we didn't want to take the kids on first because there's supposed to be a bluff that you go out to and we didn't know what that was actually going to look like and we didn't want that extra pressure of making sure they didn't plummet to their death and things like that. So we decided we're going to go do this trail down in Arkansas. Uh, while the kids are away, and so Tuesday morning we wake up, we've got our lunch packed, we drive down to the trailhead, we have a nice little lunch out of the back of our car, uh, about 11-ish, you know, it was perfect day, wasn't going to get higher than the mid-70s that day, and, and so as we were to go out on the trail, there's a couple things that I typically take when we go hiking, one is my hiking boots and I have my backpack and water and we got the bug spray and the suntan lotion and all that and so we're ready to go. I also carry a type of spray just in case we were to encounter anything anytime we were hiking and I want to make sure that I've got at least some line of defense as you go out onto the trail. And um, What's funny about this is we were planning this and talking about this for several weeks. Um, We realized how in-depth Facebook tracking actually is. because uh, I don't know if you know about Facebook tracking, but they use your phone to figure out like, places you've gone and things you look at, and then they give you ads for that. We've literally been in a store we've never been in before, and as we got into the car and started driving down the road, Jamie got her first ad for that store through Facebook, and she's like, how does that happen? I mean, it's just crazy. But as we were planning this hike, you know, we're looking at different trails, and so her phone and Facebook somehow linked up, and uh, she began getting articles and videos about bear attacks. Um, which is nice to have when you're talking about going out into the wilderness and out on a trail. And so she she would read these articles and she would watch these videos about bears charging at hikers and she would tell me about them. And they did not happen in Arkansas, but we did do our research and know that there have been bears and boars and snakes and other things, mountain lions, that have been seen while people have been out hiking. So as we get ready, God led me by the spears. we get to the trailhead. I look to my right and there is a stick. And I don't normally carry a a, a walking stick with me, but it was a pretty good sized stick. And something told me in my head, hey, you should pick that up. And so I did and we're walking and we're talking loudly. We're making noise because that's what you are supposed to do to scare off the animals that may be coming. And it wasn't a long trail. It's about three miles out and about three miles back. And you get to these bluffs that's supposed to overlook the Buffalo River, which is supposed to be beautiful. And, and so I'm excited. We're going, and we're walking down. We did about to a mile and a half. We've been making noise. We've been talking, uh, just having a good time out in God's creation. Mile and a half, and about from me to the keyboard, something pops up. And me and my heart stops. My feet stop. My jaw drops. And I know immediately what it is. I yell boar. There was a wild boar seven feet, eight feet from us that popped up and scurried a little bit, but I didn't know where it went. I knew it moved a little bit, but I also know that boars are one of the most unpredictable type of animals you can come across when you go out hiking. And so I have my spray ready and my stick in hand, and I'm thinking, maybe (laughs) this could work. Um, I look back at Jamie, and we start doing you're supposed, supposed to start walking back slowly, um, and we start going over our options. Uh, in my, my head, my option was that, well, maybe it scurried off far enough, because animals are supposed to be scared of people, right? So maybe it scurried off far enough that we could continue down the trail. Jamie only had one option in her head that we should do, and that is to turn around and go back the way we came. And, and I was disappointed this point, because we're less than a mile from where we're supposed to be at the end of this trail. And so we're going over the options. And in fairness, if it would have been a snake, of any size, any kind, it doesn't matter if it's poisonous or not. It doesn't matter if it's big or small. If it had been a snake of any size on that trail, we would have turned around immediately. I just cannot handle snakes at all. But I looked at James and said, "We're so close, and she's there, and I can." And she told me her legs were shaking, but I could tell her legs were shaking, and and she was. Had that fear in her eye look. And so I said, Well, I'll just make a loud noise so I can get a feel for where this thing with. Maybe it ran off into the woods. And so I I did a stupid pig call. <laughs> it's the first thing that came to mind, that came out. <laughs> and I hear in the brush, <sighs> And i know this thing's not backing down and it has not moved so we just slowly back away and we've seen the video where the mountain lion chases the guy up the path like all the way up i don't know if you've seen that but that'll make you never hike again um but we just walk back i mean for several yards just walking backwards slowly talking trying to be loud trying to be big um you know got my stick um eventually we we, the trail ended that day for that particular trail and we'll try to go back some other time but fear had overcome Um, and sometimes fear is a good thing in life it keeps us from doing dumb things right (laughs) Um, sometimes fear lets us know that you know that's probably not the smartest thing to do that your life could be in danger it keeps us from making the news for stupid reasons Um, but fear in our faith and fear in our relationship with god can be detrimental and this morning we're picking up what Jesus has begun in preparing His disciples on what to expect as they go out and proclaim His name and present the gospel and present Him to the world. And we looked at last week, you know, there were not too many positive things that they were to expect. They were to expect to be arrested and beaten and mocked and to expect the possibility of death. And so if we're hearing Jesus speak to us, okay, I want you, you are, my, you are the light of the world. You are to go and present the gospel and to preach the word. And these are the expectations you are to have as you go out and preach the world. I imagine a lot of us are going to be timid and have fear in our own heart. Like, why would we want to do that? Well, in the midst of this conversation, what they expect, Jesus now turns the conversation into not having fears. The very first thing he says in verse 26. And in these six verses, three times... Jesus tells the disciples and he's telling us to not allow our fear to overcome what we are called to do as Christ's ambassadors. And so we're focused on the father over our fears. And we're going to start looking at the three fear factors we can have in presenting Christ and preaching Christ and living for Christ. And then what God says we should combat those fears with. So let's begin in verse 26 and we'll walk through this. So have no fear of them. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Let's pray before we walk through this. Father, thank you for this day. Lord, thank you throughout your word numerous times over and over again. You tell us not to have fear, not to live in fear, not to live in anxiety and worry, not to be overcome by that, not to fret. A lot of those times those reminders come with the promise that we should just be still. Be quiet before you. To find rest and peace in you. Lord, I know everyone who's gathered here this morning as your child, we want to proclaim your name. We want to share the gospel. We want to become more Christ-like. But there is that fear and that anxiety of how are people going to respond? And I think that your word doesn't shy away from that, that human aspect of being your ambassador. So as we walk through this, Lord, let your spirit be the only thing that speaks to our hearts. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see. Give us a heart that is soft and ready to accept your word. Let us be transformed into your likeness. Let us become bold in our faith. And Lord, let us use the tools that you've presented to us so we can live out in this world. No matter what happens, we will be faithful to you. Thank you, Lord, for being our shepherd and guide and lead us to where we need to be before we conclude here this morning. Praise in the name of Jesus. Amen. <clears throat> Within these passages, Jesus obviously isn't having a, a uh, talk about being fearful of boars, right? Rather, he's saying that we are not to live in fear, we are instead to have a boldness. In living and sharing what we believe. And since fears are what can seem to be overcoming us and what can tend to make us be muted or quieted or or resistant to sharing our faith, let's begin with the three things that Jesus says not to fear. First thing Jesus brings up is the fear of conspirators. In verse 26, nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. We have to keep in mind, Jesus is fully aware of what is going on around him. I mean, he is God in the flesh, he is all knowing, all powerful. He is fully aware that in this very moment, even as his ministry is beginning, the Jewish religious leaders are already conspiring against him. They're already planning, how do we get Jesus out of this equation? How do we get the attention back on us when all the crowds seem to be wanting to go to Him and to listen to Him and to be with Him? So Jesus is aware of that going on, those conversations that are happening in secret, those conversations that are happening behind closed doors, those conversations that nobody else knows about but Him. But the disciples probably aren't aware of this double meaning that Jesus is delivering to them. What Jesus reveals to us and what He's revealing to His disciples in this moment is there are going to be people in your life that are going to talk behind your back. That should be almost a no-brainer. There are going to be people in your life that are going to attack you with evil intentions which other people may not be able to see and they may not be able to understand. And there are going to be people who are going to do things in secret in order to bring harm and evil upon you, because people have a sinful nature, we can be manipulative as people. We can play out evil agendas that boil up in our hearts. I mean, you cannot turn on the news and not see the reality of what Jesus is saying right here in verse 26 that people do things in secret and they do things in the dark. And when the truth comes out, they try to twist the truth in order to match their agenda. And they try to hide things they don't want other people to know about. And we get so frustrated with that. We get so frustrated when years later or months later, the truth actually comes out. But this is exactly what Jesus is saying, is the truth must be made public. But he's telling his disciples, you're going to encounter this in your life. It's going to be frustrating, but understand this nothing that is said in secret, nothing that is done in secret, nothing that is even thought in our heads will be left uncovered. God knows all things. The statement in verse 26 is in relation to what Jesus just warned his disciples to expect. You can expect to be arrested, you can expect to be beaten, you can expect to be uh, in prison, you can expect to be put to death, you can expect as Christians to be betrayed. And despite of the lack of pep talk we saw in verses 16 through 25, Jesus counters with what you can expect, even though very few of it is positive, by saying, do not fear them, because in all things, in the end, all things will be known several years ago is right when ethan was born and um i was in a church and i've shared about this church before and i'll, I'll hopefully never mention it by name because i don't know what god's doing there or even how god's playing everything out but i was at this church and i was the youth and uh, worship leader and uh it was i remember the time because it was the time of southern baptist convention which actually just happened a couple of weeks ago um and the pastor at the church was going to go to a Southern Baptist Convention, which was held in Florida in that time. And he's going to take his family. And so they're going to go to the convention. And then the week after, they're going to take some vacations since so they're in Florida. And they were going to spend time in Florida as vacation time. So he is going to be gone for like three, three Sundays, one for the convention and, and two for his vacation and so for three Sundays, I had to fill in as pastor, I had to fill in as the guy who kind of did the things around the church. It, was a, uh, it wasn't a small, small church, but uh, it wasn't huge by any means either. And so I was in charge of locking up and making sure the lights were turned off and doing all that stuff. And it was a Sunday night. It was the first Sunday he was gone. Um. And I'm I'm going through the church. I'm walking down the hallway that's going to the main doors, and I'm going to go turn off the lights and lock up the door. And I look, and because to my left of the main doors was the church's fellowship hall at the time, and it was one of those doors that had those you know those are uh, not rectangle rectangle yeah those rectangle windows you can look through. And as I'm walking, I look and I see that there are several gentlemen sitting in the fellowship hall around tables, and they're having some sort of conversation. And as I get closer to the window, I notice that it's the deacons of the church, which surprised me because at this church we had a bulletin. You all remember bulletins? Those are fun, right? Those little pamphlets you get to welcome you. And Well, there were announcements in the bulletins about meetings and things going on, and, and it was my responsibility, uh, kind of like we do at the end of service years, to go through the announcements and things so people be aware. And uh, I knew that there was no deacon meeting on the agenda. And so as I looked in there, I thought it was rather odd. One, they were meeting, but two, no one knew about it. And three, the pastor's gone, which the pastor was supposed to be with the deacons so they can understand what they're going to be talking about. So I opened the door and I looked in there and I said, is everything okay? Immediately one of the men popped out of his chair and said, yeah, everything's fine. I got a key. Go ahead and turn everything off and I'll lock up when we leave. And I looked around the table and, and I will admit not every individual that was in that deacon party loved Jesus the way they should Um, and that came out in the future but I looked around the ones I knew who were supporters of the pastor who loved God and were pursuing after God who I considered good men and I could see in their eyes something was off so I closed the door and I I did what I saw and I I went home and I remember a conversation as soon as I walked in and saw James said well that was odd Really strange. I mean, the deacons are over there meeting, and, you know, pastor's gone, and I didn't know anything about it. And Jamie thought it was odd, too. Well, as the months came about, the truth came out. That deacon meeting was a meeting to get rid of the pastor, to dispose of him, because he was too evangelical, and he was bringing people to church that didn't match that church and those deacons didn't like that, because they were starting to lose power in the business meetings, and they were starting to lose power over what activities were gonna be done and who was going to be reached. And eventually, because we had to bring in someone from the state, we were in Illinois at the time, we had to bring someone from the state association to come in and take us through this process of reconciliation. The light of that meeting came out um, that that's where it all began. It didn't stop the pastor from being excused. It didn't stop stop a lot of heartache from happening in the church. It didn't stop us as, as a family from having to leave shortly thereafter. But it was uncovered. And when the light came upon the truth and what was uncovered, people realized what was happening and what was trying to be hidden. This is what Jesus is saying. There are going to be people in our life who are going to try to get away with things in the dark, behind closed doors, behind our back. They're literally going to stab us in the back of times and no one else is going to see it or understand or realize it but us. But Jesus says, have no fear because it's going to be uncovered. It is going to be revealed and the truth is going to shine on it. And I'd like to say that this only happens with people outside of the church and people who aren't believers. But my own experience has shown that's not the case. Here's the thing, and, and this is, isn't happening here that, as far as I know. But The thing about conspirators is you don't know. Because conspirators don't cons- conspireize. is that the word, out in open areas. They, they, they do it through texts and emails and phone conversations and private meetings and gatherings. If, if you, as a believer, have something against someone else, it is your biblical mandate to go to that person and reconcile that. But what tends to happen is instead of following the commands of Christ, we become like these conspirators and we start talking behind their back. We start belittling them. We start saying what we don't like about them. And all that does is it ruins our witness. This conspiracy theorists, these are never given a positive light. And so do not become like them. Instead, bring everything into light. Give it maximum publicity, let the truth shine. second fear Jesus brings up is in verse 28. He says, Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. And that's the fear of death. The charge to His disciples and us is in living for Christ, we have to understand this reality. We are going to be putting our lives in danger. We're going to be putting our reputations on the line. We're going to be putting our social gatherings in danger. The body and soul are what make up an individual. The body is the mortal, the soul is the eternal. Nowhere in Scripture does it tell us that we should be afraid of Satan. Nowhere in Scripture. We said, fear the enemy. We flee the enemy, we resist the enemy, but nowhere we're told to fear him. But it is the enemy who puts fear into our hearts and causes us to be tempted to allow those fears to overcome us. Jesus is saying That when we go out into the world as His representatives, as His uh, gospel carriers, we are going to be putting our lives in physical danger. Because we are going to be proclaiming His name into a world that is resistant to who He is. But Jesus says in the very same breath, you need to have a proper fear. Do not fear those who can kill your body but not your soul. Rather, fear the one who can kill both and send them into hell. Now you think about Christianity in America, we probably aren't going to be putting ourselves in physical harm or fear of death when we proclaim Jesus Christ here in America. Now, you might be ridiculed. You might be ignored. You might get thrown out of your social gathering, your social clusters. You might have, and probably will have, things spoken about you which aren't true. Unlike other places in the world, persecution in America is going to pale in comparison. But at the same time, we have to be ready for when this world rises up against Christianity that we are going to remain faithful to the cause, even to death. Last week we went up to Kansas City. There's an Auschwitz exhibit. Uh, people have asked me, well, what was that like? You know, how do you explain it? And You try to explain it in one word, but you know, when you think of words like, oh man, it was excellent or it was good, it doesn't seem like it should really fit into the content that you're walking through and you're going through. There's a lot of stuff I learned about that experience because they did a really great job of taking you from the beginning and how everything began to form and led to Auschwitz, which was that Jewish camp where millions of Jews were, were put to death. But one thing that jumped out in my mind when I began thinking about that and been thinking about our our life today in 2021, Auschwitz came about because there was a very vocal and flamboyant leader of a political group we know as the Nazis. But the group was already formed. This leader just emerged that we know now as Hitler. He convinced this group, that the reason the nation was in the political and and economical state it was in, which was in decline, everything was down, there was no work, money was worth very little, they had just lost World War I, which was a huge blow to their self-confidence and their pride as a nation. He convinced this group that the reason this happened is because of the Jewish people, because it is the Jewish people who crucified Christ. And so we're allowing these people to live in our country, and they're bringing shame upon us as a people. And he convinced this group that makes sense. And so they came up with a plan on how to get rid of the Jewish people. And this is what they did. They told the nation, we're going to send the Jewish people to work camps. As we get ready for another war, they're going to help provide the means for this war. So we're going to use them for this to bring us back into uh, the public spotlight and power. And and everyone bought into it. There were several eyewitnesses who said it happened almost overnight that these soldiers began showing up and taking the Jews. And they convinced their neighbors, they convinced their friends, they convinced their co-workers... We're taking them to work camps. And you know what the rest of the nation did? Okay. That makes sense. And the nation itself didn't actually actually know what was happening in these work camps. But there were men, these testimonies, these men who had literally fought in World War I for Germany, but they were Jews, who got taken... And they even convinced their own family, we're going to go work for our nation, for our country. And almost immediately overnight, thousands upon thousands of Jews were boarded up, thrown on trains and taken to these concentration camps. Many were slaughtered as soon as they got there. And as I began watching this and I began thinking, holy cow, we think we've actually come so far. But just think last year when they said lock everything down, everyone did what? They jumped on board. And I understand the lockdowns were for safety. I understand those were good procedures and things like that. But there are very few people who ask questions, and those who did ask questions were radicals. They didn't have the nation's uh, view in mind and, and the safety of everyone in mind. They were only selfish individuals. And we say, well, that would never happen again. I think it will. I think there's going to be a day where Christians are going to be marked as the enemy and the reason that this nation and things in this world are not becoming what they should be. We're holding the culture back. We're too closed-minded to accept people of certain lifestyles, certain backgrounds, certain philosophies. We're we're too Bible-centered. We can't even approve or agree with certain theories taught in schools. And there's going to be a day, because the Bible says it's going to happen, where this world's going to have enough. And just like what happened at Auschwitz and in Germany, our neighbors and our friends are going to go along with it. Here's the thing. If we have a fear in our heart of being ridiculed because we share our faith of being, you know, cast out of social groups, of being belittled, spoken illly against. What's going to happen when our life is actually on the line? How strong will our faith be in that moment? Because if we're falling to fear in a world right now that allows us to share the gospel and live for the gospel, when this world turns, and it will, I don't know if it will be in my lifetime or my kids' life. I don't know, but the Bible says it's going to. If it happens in our lifetime, are we ready to not succumb to that fear but to be faithful? In this passage, Jesus is not dismissing the sacredness of life. In anything he's saying, despite the fear of dying, this, this passage highlights the sacred, sacredness of life. Jesus is saying we must be ready to go all the way. We have to be. David Platt writes, "In reality, we must face is this: the danger of our lives increases in proportion to the depth of our relationship with Christ." And so we come to verse 28, and the question is, who will we fear more? God or man? James says there's only one lawgiver and judge. He is able to save and destroy. This verse is teaching us to have a proper fear. A fear towards God is to find His reverence and awe and a wonder in who God is. He is more powerful than any persecutor that can come into our life. And He will remain till the end. The Bible points out in the book of Isaiah, God has the authority and the power to destroy both body and soul. So we shouldn't fear persecution in any way. What's the worst thing that can happen? If we live for Christ in this life, that means we are living with the Lord and in Christ. And if we die for Christ and in our faith, that means we did to what? Live with Christ and with the Lord. So it's a win-win and this is the understanding that Paul writes about. One of those verses I think we all love in Philippians. This is his conclusion as well, because he says, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. And that passage comes out of Paul's wrestling match about wanting to be with the Lord, but having to remain in this body and endure the persecution he's going through. The third fear that Jesus points out is in verse 31, and that's the fear of being of no value. Fear not, therefore you are more value the statement is connected to verse 29 where Jesus asks a rhetorical question. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Now the Greek word doesn't actually mean penny like we would have here in America. as a little copper coin or whatever it's made of today. The Greek word for penny means an Assyrian. An Assyrian was worth one-sixth of a denarius. A denarius was a day's wage. And so when it comes into the marketplace, a sparrow was considered the most insignificant of birds and animals that any poor person could purchase. You could buy two sparrows for an Assyrian or one-sixth of a day's wage. The application is God of creation is aware of even the most insignificant of animals. He's aware of them so much He knows when they die and they don't die unless the Father gives consent for them to die. So if God cares and values about something so insignificant, then we know we are more value to God, and so He values us. So even though we go through persecution, even though we may be betrayed, even though people may speak against us, that is not God's value upon us because He saved us. He died for us. So we are value to Him. In 1905, Seville D. Martin penned a hymn based upon this truth, She wrote, why should I feel discouraged? Why should shadows come? Why should my heart feel lonely and long for heaven and home? When Jesus is my portion, a constant friend is he. His eye is on the sparrow and I know he watches me. His eye is on the sparrow and I know he watches me. So though this world may place little value of our faith, little value in what we believe in, though this world may try to belittle what we know as true and what we represent in this world, God doesn't. You are not insignificant to God. Psalm 139 captures this truth. If you're not familiar with that psalm, I want to encourage you to read it later this afternoon. It simply states that everything about our life is valued by God. So Even if the world doesn't value us value us, even if our friends or family don't value us, even if our coworkers don't value us, we are valued by the one who really matters. It's the God we serve. With these fears, God gives us the ammunition to combat them. Going back to verse 27, "The Father over our fears tells us to be bold. Memory begins with have no fear of them. Verse 27 says, What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. We are to be bold because of our intimacy with God. The word dark in Scripture can typically refer to something negative, but in this particular context, in this verse, it doesn't. Here it is speaking of something that we have been given special privilege to understand and to know. And this privilege only comes to a believer. It only comes to a child of God. To whisper something into someone's ear, implies intimacy and closeness. And so we're commanded, no matter the opposition, whatever we hear from God, we are to proclaim into the world. We are let the truth have full publicity. So we may be here at church, we may be in these walls, but whatever God speaks to our heart in these walls from His Word, we don't just leave it here, we take it out into the world and we share it. We proclaim it. We let it be known. Because it's not just for us. The gospel isn't just for us. You know, I wanted to be bold with the boar. Pie would have been a dumb idea. <laughs> After I heard stories of what boars can do, I, I'm glad we backed off. But it is never dumb to be bold with the gospel. It is never dumb to be bold with what God speaks to our hearts Either in church or through our Bible study times, because it's meant to be shared. That's why we call it good news. In the book of Acts, in chapter 4, Peter and John have just been arrested by the Jewish council. This is the same council which fueled the crucifixion of Christ. And Peter and John have just been arrested because guess what they were doing? They were preaching Christ. And they were brought before this council, and this council told them, You need to stop it. You need to knock it off. Stop saying He's resurrected. Stop saying He's the Christ. Stop saying He's the Messiah. Just shut up. And I can imagine in that moment, because these were men, just like us. They were individuals. In that moment, they had to have understood, you know what? These individuals, these Jewish leaders, had Christ crucified it is not going to be a very big deal for them to have two Galileans done away with. Because Christ was more of a a, a celebrity status type individual. Peter and John were just getting going and preaching the gospel and pointing to Jesus. But in that moment, as they said, we can't help but preach Christ. They eventually were released. And imagine if we put ourselves in their shoes, we're before authority figures that could end our life. We're telling us to shut up, telling us to knock it off. Imagine if we were in their shoes, we would be tempted to be like, okay, maybe we should back off just a little bit. Maybe we should just, you know, simmer down. But the Bible says in John, Acts 4 29, Peter and John go back to the body of believers. They share about their persecution, and then they pray for more boldness. Throughout the book of Acts and the letters of Paul, boldness is the key ingredient in proclaiming and living our faith. Boldness in Scripture means to be outspoken and confident. and requires courage. So we sing about we are the light of the world. This is what is captured when we say in the light and we proclaim on the housetops. House tops were a lot like what this platform is right here. They were very flat. We have to keep in mind, in Jesus' day, you didn't have microphones. You didn't have bullhorns. And so to be on a house top will put you above the city, put you above the streets. It would be, allow you to be able to gain an audience and allow your voice to be projected further so more people could hear. Jesus is saying you need to go to the place that is you can proclaim the loudest. He is not saying you need to wait for the opportunity. Instead, you make the opportunity to preach the good news. Abby and I were at, at Walmart's the other day, Wally World, whatever you want to call it, um, place that takes most of our money. Um, so we got back in from town. We went, we had to run to Walmart because we wanted to get donuts. By the way, there's donuts if you want donuts. If if there's donuts left out there, don't feel bad if you just happen to grab a box and walk out. We will praise your name for that. Uh, but we did do donuts. And so I didn't know how many people to expect. I know it's July 4th. I didn't know how many donuts people want to eat. Some people like one donut. Some people like five donuts. So we just got seven dozen donuts. That's 84 donuts. You're, you should be happy that Abby is with me because I'm a guy. So guys, shoppers, what do we do? We have our list. We get it. We grab it, throw it in the cart. We get out, right? As quick as possible. Abby's with me, and she sees the different types of donuts. I think glazed. Who doesn't like a glazed donut? But she sees chocolate donuts. She sees there's one box left with sprinkles on it. And they're red, white, and blue sprinkles. And what could be more perfect than having red, white, and blue sprinkles on a donut on July 4th? So I said, okay. So we started grabbing boxes, making sure the dates were going to be good, and we threw the, the boxes into the cart, we went grabbed some milk, and we did up to the checkout lane. And I love what Walmart is doing. That is sarcastic. I do not mean this. This is not the truth. I love what Walmart is doing and how that if you go through the self-checkouts now, you gotta pay by card. And if you go find an actual human being, you can pay by cash. And um, the human beings are always have the long lines, right? And so we go get in the human being line because I have some stuff I need to buy just for our house, and we got stuff for the church. And so we get up there and the cashier makes this comment i don't know i i didn't know how to take it Uh, so i put the donuts on the thing and he goes well somebody likes donuts and i didn't know if that was a cut like (laughs) it dude it's covid calories right it's covid um it's covid related (laughs) but i said uh, no oh well it's for a church and i learned something in this moment if you are buying a massive amount of stuff or some, something that's just odd and the cashier asks about it. If you just say it's for Jesus, it opens the door to conversation. Because he asks, What church? And I told him Harvard Still Baptist Church, and he to Stratford and he goes, Oh, well, what do you preach there? I said, Well, we preach the gospel. Oh, which gospel? So I said, the gospel. <laughs> We preach the Bible. We, you know, Genesis to Revelation. We preach that that God created us for a purpose. That we all have sin. We we sin separates us from God. But Jesus died for our sin and rose again that we could be saved. And it's not by anything we can do. It's by grace. It's by mercy. It's by faith in Christ alone. That gospel. No. Never heard that before. So what do you think about First Chronicles? And I I don't know where he got from, but God gave a platform. It wasn't on a housetop, but it was at a, a checkout line where this guy obviously couldn't get away from me, right? He's being paid to stay in this position and to be polite to me, even if he doesn't want to be. And I proclaimed the gospel to him. I told him where our church was. I told him I'm the pastor here. I invited him to come. I don't know if he'll show up or not, but we're to be the light of the world. We are to proclaim and be bold with the truth. With our second fear, when it comes to cons- not just conspiracies, but our, our fear about death, the Bible says the Father over fears tells us to live with an eternal perspective. Fear is going to be a constant threat to your faithfulness. But nothing we can fear in this body will ever come close to the fear that we should have reserved to the Father in his pending judgment. We are loved and known by God. And the Bible says all people, all people will have to give an account to Him. Jesus tells us that the hairs on our head are numbered in verse 30. The word number can be read as counted. In the Greek, it's actually the perfect tense. It signifies the number of our hairs is on continual record with God. Some of us can got fewer hairs to count than we once did. But the Greek word says that God, even the most insignificant things that we don't sometimes even worry about, God has them all numbered. And He counts them regularly. And so I have two females in our house, my wife and our daughter. And if you have females in your house, you know what a joy it is to clean bathrooms. Right? There's hair. And I'll admit, I lose fur at times, too. And so I've got to clean that. And I think, well, that's no big deal. I don't think losing your hair is a big deal. My dad has a nice U-shaped haircut. I mean, it just works for him. But the Bible says, even the things that we deem as insignificant, even the things that we may not even worry about anymore, that's why most of our guys have nice short haircuts these days, right? God is fully aware of, and so you might not think about your hair, but the Bible says in Psalm one thirty nine, which memory supposed to read later. You are fearfully and wonderfully made, and you are wonderfully important to God, and therefore you're to live not fearfully but faithfully with an eternal perspective, because God knows everything about you, even the things you don't care about. God cares about in your life. Because of this, in verse 32 and 33, the the father of our fears tells us to proclaim our value. Everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my father who is in heaven. Whoever denies me before men, I I also will deny before my father who is in heaven. We who have acknowledged Christ as our Lord and Savior are acknowledged by Christ before our father who is in heaven. Just think about that for a second. That means if you're a child of God, Jesus and God are having conversations about you in the heavenly courts. Now, there's been times in my life I've been amazed when I've deemed someone to be important who's talking about me in a positive way. I'm like, oh, wow, me? Really? Oh, nice. God is talking about you. He is acknowledging you, your existence, your value to Him. And this world can't take that away from, it, from you. You are acknowledged by God as having a supreme value because God is the ultimate authority and Christ is the ultimate sacrifice. And since we are acknowledged by God in heaven, we are to acknowledge God before men, even in the midst of persecution... Because we are going to be faithful to our Father who loves us deeply instead of faithful to our fears. And the truth is spoken very frankly in these verses. To deny Christ in verse 33 is to lead to permanent consequences. Now this isn't speaking about denying Christ throughout the day or even through our actions We have to keep in mind, Peter denied Christ three times and still was given the Holy Spirit. He was still given the seal of salvation. This denying the Christ means we deny Christ our entire life. And what that leads to is Christ will see us and stand before the Father and deny us before Him. They don't belong to me. Jesus makes a similar comment in Matthew chapter 7. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. To not be acknowledged before God means eternal judgment. Here's the question for us believers today. Where are we living? Are we being driven by our fears or are we resting in the presence of the Father over our fears? If you thought 2020, there were a lot of stupid things that were decided, a lot of stupid things done, buckle up, it's not going to get better. It's just reality. The Bible brings this out. This is not our home. So we have to make sure right now we are going to be faithful no matter the cost. We're going to be faithful to God. Now to be known by Christ, as he says, I never knew you, means that you have confessed Christ as your Lord and Savior. To confess Christ as your Lord and Savior begins a very simple process. First it begins by admitting that you are a sinner. There are things in your life that you know you shouldn't have done. And there are things in your life right now you know you shouldn't do that's sin that's that's god's law written upon your heart revealing that there are things that are wrong and things that are off things that god did not create you for so to confess christ begins i have to admit to god that i'm a sinner i fall short of his holiness His perfection but it doesn't end there praise the lord it, be, it moves to a place where i believe that god values me he gives me significance He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die for my sins, and He did. And He rose again that I might be completely forgiven for my sins. And the Bible says, when I believe that with my heart, I have to confess it with my mouth that Jesus is my Lord and Savior. And when I do that, I am completely forgiven past, present, and future. I am made a child of God, and Christ confesses me, acknowledges me before the Father. That one's mine. Have you accepted Jesus Christ today? If you haven't, I'm going to ask Nick, Bridget, to come up and lead us. I'll be standing here. You just come down and say, Pastor Mike, I want to be saved. Maybe you're here and you're like me and there's been times in your life you've allowed the fear to overwhelm you where you haven't been faithful to proclaiming what God has told you to proclaim. Maybe it's happened today. Maybe it's happened this week. Maybe you just come and kneel for the Father and repent of that. Confess it to him. He's faithful. Here He already knows. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for loving us, taking care of us. Lord, let us be bold. Let us be bold. Let us preach your word. Preach it authentically. Lord, knowing that you have already revealed your word, there are going to be people who don't want to hear it and want nothing to do with it, but don't let that stop us from being faithful. Forgive us as your children... When we have fallen to fear, we have not spoken your truth. We have not shined the light. We have not proclaimed from the housetop. Father, give us a bold heart. Give us the words to say which your word promises you will. Lord, we want to be a faithful church. The light shining in the darkness. And we can't do that unless we cling to you. Lord, if there's someone here this morning that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior and your Spirit has revealed that to them, I pray you would give them the courage and the boldness to come down the aisle and let it be known. Thanks for this time we've been able to be with you and be in your word. And praise on the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.